Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Welcome back to the Business Leadership Podcast, Brian. Thanks for having me back, Edwin. Good to be here. This is amazing. Excited to get into our our next episode of the first 100 days, which is a personal project of yours at your company, Infotech Research Group. Brian, can you share with the listeners a little bit about your research, why it's important, and, and, and what it's all about? Yeah, so this whole concept of the first 100 days goes back to 1933, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt became the president of the United States, and he really acted quickly to end uh, this depression that had been uh, the Great Depression, of course, that right. we all know, learned about. And uh, he set this record for the amount of legislation that he put through, the bills that he was passing. And he came up with this concept that presidents would be judged on what they did in their first 100 days of their mandate, and that would create their whole legacy, right? So it started with the U.S. president. And since it's sort of been adapted to the business world by authors like Michael Watkins from Harvard Business Review, right? Mm-hmm. And now what we're doing is trying to extend that out into a service where we're helping our members have the most successful 100 days possible based on best practices. Yeah, no, and I'm really curious, excited, and being part of this project to learn about best practices when it comes to executives, whether they're the tech executive, the CEO of a tech company, and what they do, what their mindset is coming into an organization as that leader to move the company forward. So who do we have today? Yeah, so today we're going to feature our interview with Susan Bowen. She's the CEO and president at Aptum, which is a new brand. And some of your listeners might be more familiar with this company known as Kojiko Pier One. So just a little bit of history about this company. Kojiko Communications acquired Pier One, which is a data center hosting company, in 2012. And the firm had fiber infrastructure that would be useful to the telecommunications firm. So it also had this data center business that Kojiko thought it would sell to its member base, and it did. But the weird fit with uh, this these two companies is that one was selling to businesses, That's Pier 1, was selling to businesses. And Kojiko is mostly dealing with consumers, right? Mm -hmm. So they decided that it would be better to spin out Pier 1 as a separate business again. And uh, in in that process, Susan Bowen was promoted internally as the new CEO. And then eventually they found a new owner in Digital Colony. And since then, soon as Susan has become this president and CEO of the company under that new ownership structure. So it's sort of this interesting journey where we get to follow Susan Bowen through her first 100 days as president of Kojiko Pier 1, and then again, another first 100 days as the CEO of Aptum. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very special situation for someone. Um, if you were losing track, she had two 100 days within, was it a year and a half span? Yeah, I, I think it was even less than that. So she was turning things around quickly. I think it's been a really busy year for Susan. So let's hear what she had to say. 
It was a great experience, actually, largely led by Philippe Jette, who is the outgoing uh, president, and he moved into a CEO position. And he started that process by taking the time to, to spend with me. And so I would say prior to even announcing me in the role, to the company or externally he took the time to work with me on you know what how he took on the role what he was looking at doing in the role and what he you know gave advice for really and i and i remember he you know we walked through every aspect of the role and took the time quality time face to face over a couple of days we talked a narrative around every aspect of the people the company the process so i had a very good sense of you know what he knew what was then important was that I took all of that and I applied what I knew and what I wanted to achieve given the goals that I was going to get. Um, and I then went on a journey for about six weeks. So I did a month handover with him, but about six weeks of p- planning and preparation of you know, what I was going to do during those six weeks, keeping my current role, looking at my successor, appointing my replacements, coming in to make sure that I had a free uh, capacity to take on the new role. Uh, more importantly, I took a holiday. I, that was also important that I went and had some downtime. And I effectively started on a plan uh, for what would be my 100-day plan. And my 100-day plan was from the 1st of September to Christmas. One of the most important things I learned from Philippe Jette was um, his ability to not actually take on the task himself but to enable other people to do the work and so he was a constant reminder to me that whilst you have to do doing you know a job as CEO is not just facilitation you have to sit you have to strategize you have to create thinking time Um, but what what he really gave me which was invaluable was that checkpoint that if I was doing maybe more than 40% of my working week where it was me doing the task I clearly wasn't enabling a team to be successful enough for me and I think you know I hold that true that as a CEO at least 60% of your working week should be working with others to enable others and 40% should be about the things that you are doing and if you can find that strike that nice balance over time as you become ingrained in that CEO role, that shift becomes more 80-20. It's really interesting hearing Susan talk about being a CEO. And, and I really like the fact that she talks about how she separates her time in terms of spending time doing her tasks and enabling other people to be successful. Yeah, and Susan really made a point to do a listening tour of her peers at the organization. Even though she was promoted internally, so she was familiar with the company, it's so important that new leaders do this listening tour because you don't want to act too quickly without showing your other stakeholders that you're valuing their viewpoints and making sure that you're on the same page. So a tactic that new leaders often employ is running a survey. And it creates a baseline metric that can serve as the basis for a longer-term strategy. Mm -hmm. So pay attention to the type of survey that Susan decided to run. My 100-day plan 
had a series of key milestones that I would say were categorized in three areas. One was the financial performance of the company and the requirements from a commercial and statutory perspective. Uh, the second was the requirements associated with um, marketing. Now, in our case, as CEO from the 1st of, of May, um, I had a clear objective to uh, launch a new company name, brand, and everything that goes with it. So y you have to have a particular work stream associated with that because to do that with a company that's global, um, operating and serving customers in 43 countries takes a huge effort. Uh, so it's important you lead from the top there and you're supporting and enabling the a company to do that. And then the third one is really... Um, everything linked to customers suppliers and people um, and, and I put all of those three together because effectively your 100 day plan is a massive amount of communication and communication in both directions with your clients your suppliers and your people and you need to treat all of those three segments slightly different um, because everybody's asking lots of questions at that time. So it's important that you're listening and you're planning and you're building a very clear comms plan. We started collating a vision for the company sometime before by asking the right questions, running and hosting workshops across the company, getting insight from, we did a brand survey, for example, with every employee. Uh, we had a great response uh, for that. And in that brand survey, we captured what they felt the company was known for that was working well, what they wanted the company to do differently. So it was all about gathering insights uh, we also took time to talk to customers. So we invited customers to dinners and, you know, collaborative conversation. We tested what was happening in the market. We spent a lot of time talking to analysts in the market, talking, getting feedback, always about, I'm happy to share what I'm doing, but can you tell me, you know, what do you observe about the company too? So I'd always ask that question about what does an analyst or a PR person or a journalist, you know, what do they observe about what we're doing and what's happening in the market? With all of that, you definitely, you know, come with a vision yourself. But in my experience, it's, you know, your vision has to be in a language that you're employee and workforce and customer base understands and so that was why we did all of the the work around gathering data brian i really found it interesting just to hear the way susan did that um as mentioned doing a survey talking to customers talking to analysts and really forming that vision that's important whether you're new in the organization or promoted as well yeah and you know, we talked about how Susan had to go through this twice, this period of the first 100 days at Kojiko Pier 1. And then it was in January of 2019 that Philip Gita, the CEO of Kojiko Communications, started talking publicly about spinning out Pier 1 as a separate business unit. So Susan was faced with this realignment situation at first, and that was a period where employees would have to shift their perceptions of what success meant and what the business mission was all about. We were the only B2B business inside of a predominantly B2C business. And for Kojiko to get the maximum amount of its investment to grow in a B2C 
it needed to change its ownership of, B- of the B2B business. And we were also the smallest uh, part of the business. So I think, you know, both parties were ready for that decision, both us as a business unit and Koji Co as a leadership team. There was never a commitment that in the event we took the company standalone, I would be CEO. Mm-hmm. So my 100-day plan for being president was from September to Christmas, but then taking the company standalone and then becoming the CEO of a new company, I needed to build a very clear 100-day plan that executed on those things. Uh-huh. Okay, so I, I guess I guess in the yeah. timeline of one year, I've had to go through two 100-day plans and two quite different objectives. One, to stabilize and, and take a company uh, standalone, and the second, to... Um, now launch that company and then um, to grow it, set it up for, for growth, future growth. So it was on May 1st that the sale of Kojiko Pier 1 was completed to Digital Colony. The company was rebranded to the new name, Aptum, and Susan has to shift into an accelerated growth mode now. So now she's driving new opportunities for this company. You have to galvanize a different culture around a stabilize and manage mentality versus a grow and expand mentality. And so, you know, in that work stream of people um, and where you focus on that culture and the vision and the values of a company, if you're galvanizing an organization to grow, then you're really focused on enablement, empowerment, alignment. So you're leading from the front, making sure that at all times people are clear on what they can enable, what what positive impact they can make. If you're stabilizing and securing and holding a company to, I guess, a fairly kind of run rate type of business, you're changing the way you behave in a slightly different way because you may not have full access to capital to invest. You're not necessarily making choices around new products to launch because what you're trying to do is maintain and keep things standard. So in that situation, you're having a different narrative with your employees and your narrative with your employees is very much about, you know, let's keep a focus on the things that we're trying to do now in the here and now as opposed to, you know, what you're trying to enable for the future. Um, and they're quite, they're quite similar, but it's a slightly different narrative and voice. So it has a different tone to how you're driving the company. But, you, but in my experience through this last year, what I did was build a structure around communication that has been consistent. So as employees, we had a strategic framework. We have a, a communication every month, every, every quarter, and I go around every site on at least an annual basis. When you run a global company with over 20-odd sites, it's impossible to get there every month. So, you know, you use the tools and technologies to communicate, but I made a commitment that in 12-month period, I will go to every single site, and I will literally sit in a chair without a presentation, without any slides, without anything really to say, but to just address the questions of the employees. I really appreciate the way Susan created that communication framework to ensure that she's connecting with everyone, whether it's every month, every quarter, and, and visiting all the sites to ensure she's, she's connected with everyone in the organization. Yeah, we know that 
every organization has its own culture, but it's really the leadership or the executive that gets to decide what that culture is and whether they want to change it or not. So there's a few different ways that executives can approach this challenge. They can have uh, what's called a cultural destruction, right? So that's when you take out some of the leaders that had the cultural bias of what existed before and you replace them. Uh, There's another approach called the planned and managed approach. This involves steering committees and project-oriented task forces. And then there's the autonomous evolution, which encourages teams to learn from each other and it rewards the teams that perform the best. So let's hear how Susan approached this problem. I had to uh, take the time to reset in some respects the relationships where previously I was a peer to becoming a leader. But I think also it was about not creating an unnecessary hierarchy where actually for me, the most effective CEOs are part of a team. And so actually the hierarchy of whether somebody reports to somebody shouldn't really matter. Um, and, And so there definitely needed to be a slight reset on some of the strategies around the company. But of course, it, that's that's with the knowledge of I had information that other people didn't have, um, which was our ambition to take the company standalone. And it, we couldn't have involved the entire company in that decision because we were a public company. So, you know, when you have restrictions around regulation, um, it's important that you take the time to manage to that regulatory authority. Uh, and that also will change the dynamic of how transparent you can be. I remember the moment where I was representing myself as a new president uh, a year ago, and I do remember feeling very humbled. And I also took the time. It was actually set up as a call actually to speak uh, alongside the Code Code leadership team. Um, and I took the time to make sure I chose my words very carefully because not only did I feel very humble to be in that appointment, but I also knew that some of my colleagues had gone through the same process. And so it was really important to me that I recognized that they had also gone forward and that, you know, it would have been, you know, a very difficult choice, I think, for the Kojiko team to decide who they were selecting. Um, and, you know, it's about sportsmanship for me. Um, it's it's good to to get uh, to the winning position, but you're only in a winning position if the people who come second and third also want to race with you again. I actually um, took the time to define a number of new roles in the company. Um, one is actually a COO position, a chief operating officer position. And the reason for that was because I felt that we had an organization where everybody thought they were IT. <laughs> Which happens in a technology company, by the way, is that um, as a company goes from a startup to a scale up and then becomes a 600 person startup again, you actually have everybody has an opinion on IT. And I wanted to bring a central place for the innovation development of product of IT business operations. So I, I wanted to invest in a chief operating officer. That's what I did. We hired an amazing talent um, Jeremy Pease, who joined the team. Um, interestingly, the other role I had, which is called CIO, but a slight nuance, is a chief infrastructure officer. And the nuance here is that a chief infrastructure officer in our business worries about the services to the client. 
so every person in their company enables or touches the customer and and that the reason why I wanted to do that and to invest in a chief infrastructure officer is because actually they then own the enablement of our services to the customer and the COO enables them. Brian, it's pretty uh, prevalent that Susan was looking out for sort of a win-win situation as she was put into this new position and trying to steer the culture correctly. Yeah, when executives find themselves in this accelerated growth mode, as Susan did at Aptum, they want to invest heavily in the business. And sometimes that can mean resistance from within, because there's certain people in organizations that are always focused on controlling costs. And it can be hard to stomach that short-term pain for the long-term gain. But that's exactly why CEOs are hired. They take risks. Interestingly, one of the questions that I I didn't ask and I wish I had asked was whether um, whether it was felt that we had the right mix of um, balance between the investment in the product set that we had and the execution of the products that we were taking to market. I learned very quickly that perhaps and he also understood this, but I never asked the question, but I would ask the question, do you have that right mix? Because I learned very quickly that, you know, the execution of driving the top line growth in the company um, really needs to make sure that balance is right. And if you have starved the investment into some of those products early on, you have a very short tail uh, in that product roadmap. So what that does is create a gap in your opportunity to drive substantial growth because you haven't invested and and interestingly I look back with that observation I look back at other experiences so not just the one in this role but in you know I worked for HP for a very long time and I served in in HP under leaders such as um, CEOs such as Mark Hurd and you know Mark Hurd did a fabulous job of managing the the uh, profit of Hewlett-Packard but he also did a very good job of turning off the R&D of Hewlett-Packard so you know if you look back you can observe those interesting changes and 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 again these leaders are addressing objectives that they're being given so if your objective is to drive an improvement in profit then they're the kind of decisions you make but if your objectives are to grow then you have to invest and um, I think you know as a CEO you have to understand what's your objective the vision we now have how it's changed is twofold Um, one is we're about a sustainable business for the next you know for the future um, the other is about responding to the market dynamics where, you know, we are not a company that wants to be known for um, hosting. We are a company that wants to be known for software-defined data centers. And and so our vision of data as an infrastructure, so thinking about data in a different way, is really what we're already doing for our clients. So what's changed under my leadership is that we are now all galvanized around building out and aligning on a roadmap for our customers that solves their business problems, but that is not about the product or the individual product. So we're not selling firewalls, we're not selling servers, we're selling technology managed solutions that are enabling multi-cloud. And that is very much addressing the forefront of the market need. 
And so I think that's what's changed because we're pivoting 600 people on a common focus Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if you're the network engineer or the person that's laying the fiber in the ground or the person that's monitoring the network and managing the provisioning of servers or managing the public cloud contract all of those things are connected and enabling that true multi-hybrid cloud solutions. Well, that's it, I guess, Brian, from Susan, her thoughts of not only her first 100 days, but her you know, back-to-back first 100 days. And it was really interesting for me as I sat in the room during the interview, just seeing her composure change and maybe the type of communications that she understood what she was going through during her first 100 days, And then it's a different mission on her second 100 days. And I know we talked about it, and it might not have gotten out on this and on the cut, but she has that type of knowledge, that wisdom in understanding what the strategy is, what needs to be done in her job. And it's really interesting how she was able to communicate that with her team as well. Yeah, and I think that the leadership at Kojiko Communications must have identified that and had it in mind when they selected the person they wanted to be the new leader, because they would have known that they were spinning the company out, of course. So I bet that they chose Susan's skill set with that in mind. Well, I mean, this is really great. Super excited that we're sharing this and putting to light to our audience and to my listeners about Susan, the type of leader she is, and how she handled the first 100 days. Really excited. Who else we're going to be sharing in the next couple episodes? What else do you have up your sleeve, Brian? Yeah, well, we've got a few more executives ahead of us. And again, I was so thankful that these people gave me an hour out of their busy schedule as executives are hard to pin down, let me tell you. So we're going to the startup world. We're talking to Erin Burry. She's the CEO at Willful, a company that's all about getting millennials organized for that end of life moment. And how do you have that conversation with your loved ones? We're going up to Blue Cat, an enterprise IT firm that provides really technical services, where we'll hear from two different executives, both starting new roles at that company. And that should be interesting to compare and contrast those people. And I also spoke with Denny Gaudreau at Intel Canada. So lots of executives coming up in the weeks ahead. Yeah, and I love it, Brian, that it's specific to talking about discussing your first 100 days in executive role. Brian, where could we find more information about your research, these other interviews that we're talking about? Um, and we'll definitely list it on, on this episode webpage as well. Yeah, if you're a new executive and you're wondering how to approach your first 100 days, come to www.infotech.com slash first 100. And that's all lowercase first, F-I-R-S-T, 100, all numbers, 100. And you'll see all the content that Infotech Research Group has to offer you. You can get some free samples. And of course, you can inquire about the service that I'm building. Amazing, Brian. Excited to publish and release our next conversation. Thank you again, Brian. Until next time, I'll see you soon. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Okay.